Smokes, the Preacher Podcast. My name is Josh Carter. I'm Britt. Welcome back, Britt. <laughs> just, just Britt. Just Britt. Um, yeah, another exciting episode of Preacher this week. Not quite as crazy as previous episodes, um, but a lot more information. Do you feel any more caught up? I do. I do, in fact, yes. You feel like you understand this world just a little bit more? Just a little bit more, yeah. Well, yes. So it is episode three that we are talking about. Uh, the title of it is Possibilities. Um, quick note on the format of the show. I have read all the comics, so I pretend to have some idea of what's going on. I have not read any of the comics, and I've, I make <laughs> no overtures as to knowing what the hell is going on at any time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's been pretty tough up until this point. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so episode three, The Possibilities. Uh, this episode was directed by a man named Scott Winant. I think I'm pronouncing that, read that correctly. There's only one N in his name. Um, but he's directed a lot of television. Um, he's directed a couple episodes of Your Beloved True Blood. Hmm. Uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. he is he has done a ton of stuff. He's so made the rounds, as yeah. it were. I think the preacher is definitely in good hands this week, and it um, it was it was a great episode. Um, no writing credits on IMDb for this episode as of yet. There's just a note of Sam Catlin, Seth Rogen, and Evan Goldberg. Usual suspects. Yeah, getting getting the developed by. So possibly they wrote it. Uh, don't honestly know at this point. But um, yeah, do you do you want to jump right in? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's dive right on into it. Well, uh, we open up in Houston, Texas, which is it, I feel like the beginning of like. <laughs> A really weird Western, Western, like some director saying, "We open in Houston, Texas." <laughs> it's like, what? No, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to see that movie. Uh, but we finally meet the uh, aforementioned in episodes past. We finally get to meet Danny, mm-hmm. who is not at all as I expected. Uh, I, for some reason, just assumed Danny was a man. Makes sense though now. <laughs> Makes sense that she's friends yeah, with Tulip. That she's friends with Tulip. Yeah, I feel like you have to be a special sort of person to be friends with Tulip. But I love this exchange because it starts off with a monologue of Danny's. You don't even really, you don't see Tulip. You don't know that Tulip's there. So you don't know who Danny's talking to at first. But she's telling this very elaborate fantasy that she has of her husband being murdered. And the juxtaposition out of that is Tulip's very dry response of like, for the last time, Danny, I'm not going to kill your husband. And just Danny just sort of sighs, resigns herself to it, and then they go straight to business. So I, I like this exchange a lot. Uh, that's an interesting character, to be sure. Um, there's a little bit in me that wonders 
something about um, this conversation. There's a way that she describes her husband that uh, I kind of wonder if it's a certain character from the comics. And it's it's the reference to the the purpose uh, the person eating all the time like a pig like a pig with the tusks and that and, she almost yeah. describes him as like almost obese, um, and that I think is that may be a reference to a character in the comics that has something to do with the man in the white suit that we see at the end of this scene. Okay, just throwing that out there, comic fans, hit me up on email. We can discuss it because I've been trying to to wonder to talk to somebody about whether or not that character is who I think they are um, but right now I just have to say that may be a reference to the comic book I don't know for sure um, but the other topic of conversation that they have is about the map so you remember in episode one of uh, preacher when he's having his montage where he's talking about the the loss, the broken, the the crazy, you know, all those things, and it's showing the montage of all the characters yes. that we're going to see throughout the There's season. A map that's laid out. And yes. I told you yeah. that the map you could see something on it that was a reference to something in the comic books. That that was like, hey, it's a little Easter egg, and that's what I thought it was at the time. Here in this conversation, we get that. She, where she asks about the Grail and Grail Industries. Um, that is what was on the map in that montage that I was like, hey, you know, comic fans, you can look out for that. There's a reference to Grail Industries in the first episode. Like, I didn't want to say it was coming. I didn't think it was honestly coming until much later than this. But we get our first reference to the larger story the larger canon story of what Preacher is. Great, because I've been waiting for one. (laughs) (laughs) You're dissatisfied with watching these characters do their thing? I'm not dissatisfied, but I'm just... I mean, you and I had this conversation last night, actually, where there has been the sense that what was... how How the series was explained to me, I haven't really seen being conveyed on the show um, how the comic, how the comics were described to me before I uh, knew anything about them, um, and in an effort not to delve too much into that, I haven't read anything on Wikipedia or anything like that. Um, so I, I that that there is a hint of a larger event horizon, so to speak, approaching that makes me happy because I think right now that it's still sort of sitting in a um, a, a birthing process, a holding pattern. Yeah. So it's 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 doing a great job in terms of establishing these characters, their wants, their motivations, uh, their backstories. But now I'm I'm like, OK, I get the gist. Let's move on. So that that there is a that there is some sort of larger uh, uh, canon approaching uh, makes me happy. The, yes, especially because again, like I said last night, like I told you, like well, this is how it was described to me, and like this is the main objective that Jesse has is God is not in heaven, and there's this whole like chase cross country to kind of hunt him down 
And I'm not getting any sense of that from the show yet. So I'm like, what is this? What is this show even about? Um, is it about vampires? Is it about supernatural elements? Is it about God? And is it about good versus evil? Okay, well, it's all of those things. Okay, now let's start telling a story here. Well, yeah. And, and this episode did start to do that. This episode sort of was like the spinning wheel episode to get it on its feet. But it's kind of kickstarting the plot in a couple ways. Um, one of the things I can say about like generalizing as this preacher goes on a search for God cross country trying to find him um, and make him pay or some sort of revenge tale um, is a very simplistic way of describing preacher. That's like that's, you know, you always hear writers and uh, actors and people talk about plot versus story. And that's the plot. Like, yeah, that's kind of what's driving all this stuff going. But what this show is doing that I really enjoy is they are really delving into the story moments for these characters. They're not only setting a stage for them, but they're dealing with things that don't even happen until much later in the comic book um, for these characters. And I'm really enjoying just watch watching the small character work that they're kind of building. That being said, the part that we get next where Danny goes to some sort of weird backroom theater uh, where she meets a man in a white suit that's watching basically torture porn. Yeah, he's watching like a snuff film. Yeah, which part of me wondered because there's a reference to a movie. There's a You hear audio from a, an old classic horror movie uh, later on at the Root House. It makes me wonder if like this is clips from Hostel or something like that. It just it sounds so specific that I wonder if it's a reference to something. But I I wasn't able to find that um, in the time in between watching and then doing the podcast. But uh, if you have any notes, hit us up at um, hit us up at Holy Smokes Podcast at, at gmail dot com. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the man in the white suit watching torture porn. Um, huge character. Like, there's a reason they didn't show his face, and I think it's because they haven't cast him yet. But that is a character that we will see through the rest of the show. Like, all the way until the end. He is a huge character. Uh, so getting getting the Saint of Killers last week and now this character this week, which I'm not going to say his name because his name is kind of a... It's a little bit of a physical nickname for him. So I feel like that's going to give away something about that character if I if I say his name. But uh, getting the Saint of Killers last week, getting this character this week, I, I was just like, yes, they're finally doing it. Um, and here's the thing that I think... Literally, there's a lot going on underneath the surface of this show. So as much as, you know, it seems like the, it's just like these three bumbling characters trying to, you know, become friends. There's two visual references to like, hey, there's a lot of stuff going on here. And it's it literally coming out of the shot of... 
the man in the white suit walking down that hallway. The next thing we see is an establishing shot that comes up out of the ground to view the hotel that Fiore and DeBlanc are staying at. And we see the pipe. It's not the same pipe because it's a different location, obviously, but we see that similar style of pipe sitting outside their hotel. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, and we can talk about when we reach that final scene, I'll talk about what I think uh, that's a specific reference to Okay. in the comics. Because uh, it's something we've already kind of seen. Um, but did you also notice that we got... Is this the first title sequence we've gotten yes, for the show? it is. Yeah, we have a title um, sequence now. It's interesting. I, I kind of dig the theme song. It's yeah. It's tuned down and it's... Um, I like that they didn't go for the totally abstract credit sequences that are really popular these days. I mean, Hannibal was one of those. Daredevil. Um, Daredevil is one. Yep. Um, they went a little bit more Jessica Jones mm-hmm. with the title sequence, but I really liked it. Just uh, One thing I did notice is there's a lot of things that we've seen already, and there's one or two things in there that we haven't. Um, so that was kind of interesting, kind of going, okay, like what is going to end up being that scenario? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we find DeBlanc and Fiore, where we left them last week, talking to Sheriff Root. Um, I, the more I get of DeBlanc and Fiore, I just love them. (laughs) They're such, they're kind of idiots. They're complete bumbling idiots. And we don't get that impression from them in like the first two episodes. They're kind of treated as badasses. Yeah. Um, but we start to see, and the, and the cracks really start to show like there's one line reading that, uh, Fiore gives to Root. When DeBlanc is like, you have to understand, like, we're undercover. All of our work is done in secret. (laughs) And Fiore's just like, and leave us alone. Mm -hmm. Like, he's just very awkward, just like, please go away. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I love these these two characters in this episode is great. They can't get their story straight. I love that about them. They can't all they can't ever agree on what story to tell. Oh, yeah. Is it some sort of escaped, escaped psychopath? Yeah. And he's just like, yes. one of them says no, and the answer is yes. yes. And then the other one concedes and is like, yes, in a sense. In a sense, that's <laughs> correct. Um, yeah, I, I really loved them in this episode. Uh, Root kind of, I think Sheriff Root's on the verge of doing something very bad. I don't know what, because uh, he's a completely different character than he is in the comic book. Um He's an important character in the comic, but he's completely different in the way that they're treating his personality on the show. Um, but I think the cracks are starting to show for him in the way that um, he kind of turns the conversation back to them and tells this horrible story of um, some family. I can't remember what the town that he referenced, but he tells this it horrible was in story. Santa Fe, I thought. Was it Santa Fe? Yeah. Um, of a child being kidnapped and then, you know, murdered. It's like this terrible story. Two kids, actually. Yeah. Two kids. One they never found, one that they found. And it was this Mm -hmm. lonely old balloon selling, pretzel selling man at at a theme park. Worked there for 30 years, never had a problem. 
But again, we see Sheriff Root um, trying to do his job, be a good sheriff. He's trying to keep these guys that he thinks are government guys, which is hilarious that he thinks these guys are government guys. But we also get another character that thinks they are later on. Um, He's trying to get them to keep him in the loop so that he can protect his town. Um, From there... Uh, Emily is at the Loaches, um, which we finally get the reveal of she indeed, indeed opened her eyes. What's the daughter's name again? Um, Tracy. Tra- it might be Tracy. Maybe. One second. Her name is Tracy. Yeah. You are correct. Um, it's another kind of example of he has to be very specific. <laughs> About yeah. his commands. Because she did what he said, but it, you know, that that was pretty much it. Um, but it didn't really heal her. Right. She just opened her eyes. Um, I especially like this scene because you see that the mother is genuinely, you know, there's this slow uh, restoration of faith idea that kind of came into play. Where everything sort of seemed otherwise very hopeless and then the preacher come o- comes over. And praise, and then her daughter opens her eyes. So I think that's interesting, especially given that I feel they're moving in a direction where eventually Jesse will probably lose his religion. I don't know. I I don't I don't know. I just feel like it's moving in that direction. So I think it's interesting that they're setting up him doing something good and restoring other people's faith mm-hmm. while he's on a path that's likely leading to him losing his faith. Um, I think that's interesting. Well, I mean, is that, do you think that it, that comes from the scenes that you've seen already, or is that coming from knowing what preacher as a larger whole both is about? Both. Okay. It's, it's from both, I think. Um, because he's seen even before he came back to, to be a preacher. I mean, he's, he's probably seen a lot of really messed up shit in his life. That has, that for any person would probably make them be like, there is no God. There's like, Mm -hmm. this is a crock of shit. Um, And, you know, we still, we got a taste of it in the pilot episode when he's talking to, to Eugene, um, where, you know, it's this thing of, is God still listening? And Jesse's basically like, we have to believe that he is, even if he himself sort of has to keep secret that he doesn't necessarily buy it. Mm Mm-hmm. Now you see that there's people who are in the same position who weren't believing that God was there, that God wasn't listening. Jesse has essentially performed this miracle. Uh, It's a restoration of faith, but it's interesting because he's going to be moving. I feel anyway, he'll be moving towards losing his faith entirely. So Uh, it's like he's doing these nice things interspersed with these really deeply shitty things or these things that are questionable as they're kind of like morally ambiguous. You're not really sure. Is it motivated by uh, his need to prove a point or is it motivated sincerely by wanting to be a man of God? I think that's a interesting, interesting character development they have going on right now. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a, a war within himself um, between his old life and his new life and how that's playing out. Uh, I think is really prevalent in this episode. Right. 
Um, but yeah, it's I love the confusion that we see later in him because we we know that he's just walked out of that house. I love the, the little line too, where she says like, "Well, he'd been drinking, but what else is new?" Like, right. he had to work up the courage to go try to perform that miracle, and she still she still let him in the house to pray over her daughter when he's drunk. So that adds a little a little flavor to last week's episode. But um, I love the confusion that we see in him throughout the episode. He just kind of looks dazed. Uh, he doesn't really know what to make of any of this. Um, the scene that we get right after this is really darkly funny, I think. Um, we see the Schnecks, Donnie and his son, who would, now we've seen in every episode. Uh, he comes out and he's like, mom usually walks me to the bus. And he's like, your mom's not walking today. I got to talk to you for a moment. And I was worried. Like there was a part yeah. of me that was worried. He's going to beat the shit out of this kid in the alley. Really was. Cause um, he said he was earlier in the episode. Yeah. We've seen what Donnie's capable of. Yeah. And well, not earlier in the episode, earlier, earlier in, in the early season. season and yep. the pilot. So I don't know if that's a thing where kind of like we talk after like after the second episode where we talked about it's clear that there was a lot of time that passed between the pilot and then shooting the second episode. So Donnie didn't even I didn't even recognize him like he didn't look like the same character to me at all. Oh, in the, yeah. In the second Tonally, episode. he was all he was completely different. The characterization was completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I I detected a threat and I, I was worried like sincerely that he was going to beat the shit out of this kid, but that he legitimately was just having a conversation with him. That was this very warped version of having the sex talk for the first time. It was, um, it was the birds of the bees. It was really, but it was really unique. He's like, he's not even old enough to have that conversation. How exactly. do you, he's not even old enough to have that conversation. How do you broach that subject of mommy likes it when I hurt her? So if you ever hear sounds from the other room, that doesn't mean that there's anything bad happening. Yeah. That was unexpected for me. Like I did not anticipate because we've seen Donnie be so violent and then for him to like scale it back to do that thing with his son. Granted, that's great, but like it was a really it's honest very, moment. It's yeah. very, it's really, that character is very perplexing. And I don't know if that's intentional or if it's just the writers don't know what the hell to do with him. There's, no. there's a part of me that feels like it might be that. Like there's just a lot of inconsistencies with his characterization. He's a brute around everyone else. He's even been a brute to his own son. I spent the whole pilot episode thinking he was the, the kid's stepdad. But the, the kid hmm. calls him dad. Yeah. And there's no conversation, there's no indicators in the conversation that suggests that he's the stepfather, but that's just kind of the way that they, 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 they were directed maybe in the pilot. And then I picked a little bit of that up with this episode because Donnie always refers to uh, the mother as your mom. He never just says mom. He says your mom. And then, but so then that's like a stepdad indicator, but then he goes to walk away and the kid's like, Hey dad. Well, I also, so I mean, that's also a very Southern to thing to do. Um, what, saying your mom? Your mom, for dads to refer to, like, talk about, for, for parents in general, 
to talk about their significant others to their kids as your dad or your mom. See, I don't feel that that's a, I mean, that's, it's not necessarily a com. I don't feel that's a common thing. I've just, I would have, I would assume it would just be like, mom, go ask mom, go ask dad. No, I mean, my parents were talk to each other that way. Oh, sure. Um, well, and I grew up in a single parent household. So what the fuck do I know (laughs) here nor there? Um, yeah, there was definitely a sense of dread to this whole scene, but the moment that I realized what he was trying to explain, <laughs> I felt so bad for Donnie. So I was like, there is no way to explain to your kid this weird thing it's that his weird mom... sex thing. Yeah, it's this weird sex thing that his mom likes. Um, That's why I'm not peeing. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Um, Yeah, there's no way for him to explain that to his kid. There's none. And I just felt, I mean, this episode especially, we just get a lot of Donnie, uh, in a sense, being impotent. Yeah, he's really been stripped down. Yeah. He's he's, really been stripped down. It's... it's And that makes me really curious as to where they're taking that character. I don't think that the writers don't know what to do with him. I think they're just, they're going to do something with him uh, that's big. We just don't really have any basis for it because he's not a character from the comics. And so they're really kind of delving into like, they're really, I think they're setting up a... um, a reasoning behind him doing something later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see that in the way that he tries to talk to his son. We see that in the way that he interacts with Odin Quincannon. And we see that in the way that he interacts with Jesse later in the episode. Um, this really kind of was Donnie's episode in a way. I mean, he got equal, equal footing with Cassidy, Jess, and um, Tulip. You know, I would disagree with that, but I, I, I felt that when he was on screen, he was relevant. I mean, I felt like I was getting to know more about him. Um, I mean, for my money, though, I don't think this episode truly belonged to anybody in particular. I think it was it was still. We're still we're still dealing in a lot of exposition right now, I feel we're still mm-hmm. setting up a lot of history, which is fine. It's interesting. We got our. We got, well, not our first flashback, but we got our first full flashback, um, aside from the little snippets of things that we saw in the pilot. Uh, we got I would the, still say this is a snippet, though. I mean, well, yeah. Okay, to be fair, yeah. You're right, yeah. It's two flashbacks that are essentially happening in the same time, and they're both pretty short. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, I agree with you. It is a lot of exposition that's going on right now to really set up the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I really enjoy the character work that's happening at the same time while also being a crazy, crazy show. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the last two episodes have been nuts. This one was way more low key, but there were still moments that I was watching and I was like, this is not on any other show. Um, like, this is a very dark thing that's happening right now. Um, which one of those is the end of this scene where we get Linus pulling up to the bus stop 
the bus driver from last week that Jesse made forget about the girl, him pulling up to the bus stop and then meeting the girl for the first time. Uh, Which just made me, there was like, I, I couldn't even enjoy it in a sense that I, because he immediately was like, oh, hi, sweetie, are you new? What's your name? He kind of took a liking to her again. The interest was renewed and I was just like, fuck. Jesse has to be more specific. <laughs> Granted, I mean, I don't I don't know. It could be that he was just he was just genuinely being curious. But it but there was I couldn't enjoy it. I, ju- I just couldn't enjoy that moment because there's I, I had it in the back of my mind of shit. He's going to take a shine to her all over again. And it's just going to be a cycle that just perpetuates itself. I didn't I didn't enjoy it. Um I mean, until Donnie walked up and just looked at him and just goes, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. That that was the moment that I really enjoyed. It was just like when he walked in and uh, or when the little girl walked in and he didn't recognize her. I was like, man, this is really dark stuff. Like they're going to come back to this. They're going to circle back on this and they're going to show you like interacting with the girl. But he's forgotten about her. Um, that That is just something that I don't know other shows are brave enough to do. And that's one of the things that I really like about this show is they're really stepping out there and giving you those moments before we go way left field and, and the plot really starts to kick up and we start to get a lot more, uh, of the really weird and crazy, which is we can understand that pedophiles exist we get into some stuff later that you're just like, whoa, that that that's a thing. <laughs> like, it can, this show goes weird. So I'm just saying, enjoy enjoy the quiet moments. <laughs> Let Cassidy okay sit there in his very honest outfit, um, and just the best the best line of this episode. Yeah, hands down. Truly, this is my very honest outfit. Uh, the way he kind of like adjusts himself back to kind of look proper right before he says it to it he means it he's literally just wearing a blanket it's just it's like not even a poncho it's just a blanket yeah no shirt no shirt no shoes just a blanket um but yeah so that actually is the next scene that we were going to talk about which is cassidy wakes up to knocking and walks outside and finds ted ryerson's coffin sitting in the front yard of the church oh, poor ted ryerson. with shipping labels on it yeah uh which I didn't really catch that they were shipping labels at the very start. Uh, I thought, I was like, oh, weird. What are they bringing in now? Um, and I thought maybe they were going to do something, and they didn't, which I'm really glad they didn't yet. But um, it's, yeah, it's poor little Ted Ryerson being shipped back from Florida. <laughs> and uh, Emily... Uh, is the one that was knocking and she surprises Cassidy. Um, and she kind of confronts him about being just a lazy ass. Um, but just watching, watching Joseph Gilgan just do. Just chew the scenery. Cassidy. Yeah. He just chews the scenery. Well, it's not even like it's it's overblown. No. You know, he's not necessarily like. Chewing scenery, he's just really enjoying playing this character. It's that borderline of like, it's it. It hasn't gone from being so good that it starts to be bad. Mm-hmm. I think 
which then there's the whole it's so bad it comes back around to being good again but he's on that he's on the positive he's on the positive side of that um and she tells him to like go dispose of ted and you know it'll be nice to see him finally do something around here and we see cassidy get up and try to do something around the church to try to actually take care of some things around the church he's He's not there just to get drunk off communal wine, which he excuses Jesse on. Or excuses himself to Jesse in the next scene when he finds Jesse sitting in the dark, um, presumably contemplating his newfound power and not knowing how to handle it. Uh, And Jesse says he wants to show him something. Uh, And we cut to commercial. And out of that, uh, we see Tulip getting a ticket. Um, does this make you more of a fan of Tulip? Uh, yeah. Neutral? Less? No, totally. totally. More? <laughs> yeah. Um, She's great. Um, how so? I mean, it's it just goes back to what I've said from the start. She's resourceful. She can literally talk her way out of any situation. And I think it's just because she's just, she's very street smart. She's scrappy. I like her. Mm-hmm. I like her a lot. Um, I am curious, though, like, where she got the dog tags from. Has she always been wearing those? Dog tags. Was that what he referenced when he was when he asked her where she served? The ring. Oh, oh. The ring that she had on. Okay. Um, okay. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of stuck at this moment. Okay, well, don't say anything. Uh, just move on. I think th- I think that's something. Okay. <laughs> um, the the thing that makes me really curious about that whole scene, though, is whether or not she actually did serve in the army. That's tulip, though. You never know. She's you never telling kn- the truth or not. <laughs> well, you never know, but it, it would be an interesting. It would be an interesting thing to do with her backstory, I think, to make her um, a veteran. Mm-hmm. And I think it would explain a lot of the way that he she handles certain situations and a lot of that resourcefulness for her to be a veteran. Because in the comic book, she's not, but she has a different backstory that, uh, she, that explains the way she is in the comic. We've talked before about how she's different. She's a little more feisty. Um, she's a little more extreme in the way that she handles situations and she is more violent on the show than she is in the comic book. But I was really curious coming out of the scene as to whether or not, uh, they're going to say that she actually served in the army. Um, so there's, there's a little bit like we talked about that story that she told last week where you're just not quite sure if it's true or if it's a lie because you kind of think it's true but you're also like this situation so absurd there's no way this situation like if this has got to be a lie yeah um but the ring uh yeah i think the ring may be a reference to something else um the next scene we see is uh pretty great as well one of the brief like comedic moments of the episode because yes. there weren't as many as there have been in the, the past two episodes. I, I loved this scene. <laughs> um, just the moment that he tells him to sing some Johnny Cash and Cassidy sings an Irish song and then just throws Johnny Cash's name into it. 
And that's the only Johnny Cash that he knows. Who's the governor of Texas? Chuck Norris. I don't know that. Yeah. It, that, oh, man, this whole scene is just hilarious. <laughs> Tell me a secret. I like Justin Bieber. Shite. Um, that's great. I do really like that every time that Jesse uses the voice, uh, it's a stylistic thing that I noticed this episode. Every time he uses the voice, uh, they always shoot that scene with really wide angle lenses, mm -hmm. um, which is something you don't see a lot in television for sure. Uh, it's kind of something that's only in feature films, but you don't see it that often in feature films either because it, it exaggerates, it distorts space and people's features and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Right. Um, and so I really love that they kind of made, yeah. yeah, they made that stylistic choice for this guy's using this superpower, which is right. just his voice, but we're going to give you a visual cue as to when it is and when it's not, um, which is going to become more important. And we see that, you know, in this episode, Jesse's big choices are mm -hmm. choosing not to use his power or to use his power. Um, so I really love that they gave that visual cue. And if you go back and watch that scene, it's a, it's a close up and it's very subtle, but if you just kind of look at the space, spatial relationship in the background, and then when it cuts out of that and Cassidy and, um, Cassidy tries to convince Jesse that, Hey, this is a really great thing. Um, the spatial relationship of the room has changed. Uh, and that's kind of your clue to that. It's a very wide angle lens. Um, so I really, that was a thing that I noticed that I really enjoyed. Um, we also get one of my favorite film references I've gotten in a movie or a TV show in a long time. Uh, and it was a movie that I never thought I would hear ever referenced. <laughs> and it's the John Travolta movie phenomenon, <laughs> which is a very weird movie about a man who ends up getting a brain tumor, uh, which is why that's what the explanation of John Travolta's like powers powers are, are. is that yeah. he has a brain tumor is that he has yeah. a brain tumor yeah and so that's why cassidy is like hopefully it's not that one i really just appreciate cassidy as a character having so much knowledge of pop culture but I mean, not he's even a vampire that's lived for 100 even, years yeah well sure like but i i appreciate that they're leaning into that it's not that he's just some like cloak and smoke machine in you know, little like brooding type that sits in the corner and avoids all of humanity. Like he's been yeah. out in the world, he's been living it, and he's been living it enough that he knows about shitty John Travolta movies and Justin Bieber. So that's that to me is fucking hilarious. I think that's funny. Well, you would just think that. Uh, I mean, there's two scenarios for that that I think would be hilarious, which is one just Cassidy having a Saturday night out by himself and deciding to go see Phenomenon, <laughs> and then two him driving down the road. And a song coming on the radio, and he's just like, "Oh, what's this?" <laughs> it, was, it was just like, "Oh, what's this shite?" And then it, you know, you it's like, "Sorry," it's and, that he's, moment. and he's like, kind of nodding his head to it, like, "Well, yeah, fuck, this isn't bad." <laughs> no, he's just like, he, you, like the song starts, and he's like, "What is this shite?" And then it cuts to like five minutes later, and he's just like dancing by himself in his truck as he's driving down the highway. It's like those oh, those two scenario, scenarios I like to imagine for Cassidy and him going to see Phenomenon in a in a movie theater by himself. It's like <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's a fucking great image. 
Or, I think him, that's funny as hell. Him just showing up to Star Wars <laughs> because there's lots of people around. Right. Like it's the first blockbuster and he was at like one of the first showings and there's just a line around the block and he's just like, what everybody, what's everybody <laughs> looking at? <laughs> he decides to go see that. Oh my God. Uh, there's just so much you can do with that character that they are it's just. Wonderful. Yeah. Like each moment that he's on screen, it's just amazing. So I have to ask you about this next scene. Did you go back and rewatch it after I pointed something out to you? Yes. Did you hear it? No. You didn't hear it? No. Okay, I know it wasn't just me. So the sequence after this is another Odin Quinn Cannon appearance um, sitting in his office. uh, And he is listening to an intercom speaker that is playing cows being slaughtered. Like, that's all you can hear is cows being slaughtered. Mm-hmm. I noticed upon second re- upon my second viewing of the episode um, that there is a man screaming underneath that sound of the cows. Um, you I, didn't hear that? I still didn't hear it, no. That's really and interesting. I, I cranked up the volume. I swear I heard, the second time I watched the episode, I heard, a man screaming that underneath would, the cows. That would be really interesting if that uh, if that is the case. And and this show does do a lot in the subtle sound mix. Yes, which we yeah. talked about before. But um, it would be really interesting because of who Odin is in the comics um, and kind of what he's into which presumably on the show he's into listening to cows being slaughtered i don't think that's just him checking in on his company and making sure it's running okay different strokes i guess um (laughs) it's i still think it's a little soft of an introduction but on my second rewatch i thought about it they're pacing it out they're pacing it out odin's gonna odin's gonna have his big moments but they're pacing it out. They're just letting him. They're just letting him be this character that you just look at and you just go, "That dude's not right," and that dude is super powerful. Um, even in the way he treats Donnie, like he kind of he badmouths Donnie mm-hmm. pretty much to his face mm-hmm. uh, later on. But yeah, they just kind of let him. Uh, they're they're pacing it out. <laughs> I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, so yeah, again, we talked about the scene. Cassidy tries to uh, tell Jesse that this is in fact a good thing that he has this power, and we see Jesse really conflicted. He doesn't. He he looks stunned. He doesn't want this power, and he doesn't even really understand what it is. He just knows kind of what it can do right now. Um, and Cassidy tries to talk to him in a very con man way and just say like, imagine what we could do. Uh, I love that he uses throughout that whole scene. He kind of uses like the collective we, um, imagine what we could do using this power instead of just saying like, yo, like, dude, you got this thing, like, go, That's his best buddy. go do it your thing. But he kind of like, he includes himself in that, um, which is just a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a con man move. Um, well, I mean, he's a hundred year old vampire. <laughs> what else is he going to do? Somehow he ended up being the waiter on a plane full of 
people that were religious extremists trying to kill him. Like, <laughs> this dude just constantly gets himself in and out of ridiculous situations. Um, but yeah, he 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 uses the uh, the episode title here, like possibilities. He's just saying, like, think of what you can imagine. But Jesse's already seen what he could do. Uh, but there's still no reference to the fact that he knows what he did to Ted Ryerson. Right. Um, I don't know that he'll ever know. I don't I don't think that that's something that Jesse will ever know. I think that is something that he will know. And I think it's something that's going to come crashing down on him very hard. Um, you think so? Yeah, I, I really do. Don't, I don't see that happening. Um, but I mean, we see the way that he deals with anger especially in this episode where he's he's very angry and he realizes the power he has now and how he's treating it. And then he doesn't know yet that he had that power when he was talking to Ted. You know, Cassidy asked him, like, how long have you had this? And he goes, he's like, last night, maybe a couple days ago. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know how long this thing has been in him. Mm-hmm. Um... So I think that's something that's really going to come crashing down on him pretty hard to realize that he just got so irritated with this person and just wanted them to stop talking that he ended up killing them. Uh, and I think that for Jesse as a character, I think that's really going to weigh on him. Um, whether or not we'll get that, I have no idea. Um, but what is the next scene? Oh, Tom Cruise's funeral. <laughs> A sentence you never thought you'd hear. No, yeah, well, uh, or at least in you know, for I mean, a maybe couple a, more years. Anyway. Yeah, maybe eventually, but um, <laughs> maybe eventually. Hopefully, He's a very long forever. time, Tom. Hopefully, a very long time. Please don't sue us. I, he just came out with a Jack Reacher trailer today, mm. and I can't wait to see that. But um, good on you, Tom. Yeah. So, Fiore and DeBlanc are watching Tom Cruise's funeral on TV. <laughs> I just love how. Frustrated, you can see Fiore being, uh, he's the taller one. Yeah. By the way. Taller, skinnier one. Yeah, the taller one. Um, <laughs> he has the best line later in the episode. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, save it. Remind yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, wa- I want to know yeah. what you think his best line is. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're arming up. Uh, Odin Quincannon in the next scene gets a letter from some environmentalists. So you can kind of, you get another layer of, yeah, this dude's up to no good. Mm -hmm. Um, The important thing that happens here is poor, poor Donnie can't even pick up a tray full of meat or a sandwich or whatever, whatever it is that Odin Quincannon eats. Um, I would assume meat. And that is a reference to something. (laughs) But um, yeah, poor Donnie. Can't even pick up a tray. He tries to walk away, and Odin just says, "Like my right hand man, he doesn't even have a right hand," which is kind of cruel. That's a really fucked up thing to say to somebody <laughs> that got their arm snapped in two and squealed like a rabbit in a bear trap. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I would too. <laughs> Someone just snapped my arm in half. I would probably squeal like a bunny in a bear trap. Um. Do you notice, too, that 
Odin is typing at the oldest computer of all time. Oh, everything in his office is from the late 70s. It's so old. The man still has like one of those intercoms that like Don Draper uses that like you, you press on it. Diane, will you bring me my coffee? Yeah, it's good. Diane can't hear you half the time. The roll up knob. The roll up knob for volume. Yeah. Um, Everything in his office is like from the late 70s. Yeah. So, well, feeling really bad for Donnie. Donnie, I was laughing about how old that computer was. Um, We next, uh, we catch up with Cassidy after this. He's cremated Ted Ryerson. He's cremating Ted Ryerson. So, I don't know why I think that's so funny. Well, here's probably why you think it's really funny. He would catch on fire and burn up <laughs> if he walked into sunlight. He into he's sunlight. watching this he's body wearing, be burned, and he's he is literally wearing the same blanket from earlier, and now he's wearing one of those little straw hats that <laughs> it's. I, I don't even know like the source of them. It's I feel it's I, I feel he like found them in the closet. Some, they're like an Eastern European, uh, like far Eastern European, uh, <laughs> like far Eastern rice European. patty hat that they you would wear. I mean, he looks ridiculous. It's absurd. <laughs> so funny, but that, I mean, that, and he is cremating Ted Ryerson. That juxtaposition, like him looking down on that fire and just going, "That could be me." <laughs> is like really sad, but uh, it's one of those things I didn't catch until my second watching, and then I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh man, that's kind of." It's another one of those things. It's really dark. Mm-hmm. It's a character watching like what could be a, their eventual death if they ever walked out into sunlight, and we keep seeing Cassidy get called out of that church at broad, all hours, yeah, of the broad day. daylight. Um. Which we'll actually get to. I think he actually catches fire later in this episode, and we just see it referenced off camera. But um, he's doing that, and he sees Fiore and DeBlanc drive by in the same car that they were in previously. Um, and so he's kind of like, what's what's that about? But he doesn't recognize them there. Right. Which is a brilliant setup for a joke later. But... Uh, so he takes off. Um, we catch up with Jesse driving down the road, Tulip pulling up next to him. Um, she again is trying to kind of talk him down from his. I think she considers it a high horse. Um, yeah, that's the general air that I get from it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I love that he's. She's like, he's like, do I seem different to you? She's like, what do you mean? He's just like, something happened. She's like, I don't even know what that means, Jesse. <laughs> like, so confused by this person that is deeply confused. But you kind of see that he kind of enjoys that he has this thing now. Like, he has something that she doesn't know about him. Uh, which I think is a really interesting idea. Um, and I think... And so, yeah, uh, she- Yeah, we'll get... We'll get to that scene later at the gas job. station. But she says um, that Houston uh, says hello. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, that he's not saying hello back kind of offends her. Uh, she reveals in this scene what she's actually been trying to get him to do, 
which is not necessarily return to a life of crime, but to exact some vengeance. Yeah. Exact revenge on the person that presumably destroyed their relationship is, I think, how she views it. Uh, yeah, for sure. We yes. don't really get any hints as to how Jesse views it. We know that Jesse views it as, like, he's very angry about it. Because when once she reveals, like, hey, this is, th- like, this is where he is. And then, he, you know, she's already told him... He's like, I'm trying to be one of the good guys. And, and she's like, there are no good guys. I'd love that line. There's just guys. There's just guys. Um, which is definitely how I think she views the world. I think Jesse has a much more hopeful view. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in reference to spe- specifically guys. I think this is more of the general um, northern, hey, you guys. Uh, instead of, um, you know, it being male or female. I think, but I think Tula definitely thinks it's only guys. Uh, Jesse's trying to be good. She reveals this man, Carlos. What's it know do? I know where he is. What's it this guy do? This is Other where... Other than leaving them at a bank robbery? Well, I, this is where I'm at a loss. Oh, really? Because Carlos is not a character from the comic book. That I can find any reference to. Mm-hmm. He may be like a uh, a twisted version of another character. But uh, I don't think he is a specific reference to a single character. Okay. Uh, the one thing I will point out about this from the comic books in this sequence is Jesse's flashback of killing the guard. We finally got. The preacher comic book hair. <laughs> Jesse's giant, giant updo. updo. Uh, that made me laugh out loud so hard. Because that was one thing that, like, when they first released the picture of, um, um, what's his name? Of Jesse Custer. Dominic Cooper. Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer. Uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's an interesting way to do that hair. Yeah, that makes sense for, like, a modern era. You know, Jesse had always kind of wild, crazy hair. So, yeah, that makes sense. And then it's just like, bam, here we get the full glory of, of this the, mullet. The mid 90s, just poofy mullet. Yeah. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> that moment made me laugh so hard. Um, even though it's a really sad moment. Yeah, this is essentially Tulip says earlier in the episode this is Tulip and Jesse's relationship ending mm-hmm. in this one moment. Uh, so we don't know what Carlos did, but I kind of hate Carlos too. Yeah. Um, I love the, the other fact of this flashback, especially is, um, you, you get the full breadth of the, uh, how Jesse was, uh, in that world. I mean, he shot a guy point blank between the eyes. Um, and that's probably not the first person that he'd killed. Um, I'm assuming they're robbing a bank. So you, uh, you, it's, it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very jarring eye opening moment, uh, for that character as an audience member for me anyway, you probably know way more about his past than I do. But for me anyway, I was like, Whoa, Jesse killed a guy. (laughs) Uh, well, I mean, we've gotten reference to, 
his past in previous well, episodes. Sure, we have, but, but it's, you know, it's always like kid. it's, you know, talking about it. It's just been people talking about it. And yeah, that 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 can. Don't you want to one like? Don't you want to know what those bad things that everyone talks about are, though? Sure, I do. Yeah, I absolutely do. But I, I I just think it was for me anyway, as an audience member, not being familiar and only ever having heard other characters talk about Jesse, to see it finally manifested. It was like, okay, they're not mm. fucking around. Yeah, he yeah. shot a guy point blank between the eyes. Probably in just cold blood. Like, it was probably just, like, a security guard that was just chasing him. Uh, uh, I don't know if I... But I don't know. If, if but that's also, how I read but his also face I don't, there, but... Yeah, well, yeah, no. Also, there was a there was a little bit of a tinge of regret, a little bit of what have I done. Mm-hmm. Um, that was quickly eclipsed by whoever this Carlos fucker is. He's leaving us, <laughs> and we're screwed. So, um, I don't know. This, this was just a nice moment of... <coughs> getting a better sense of what Jesse Custer is all about and it's connecting the dots back to that lovely little line of tulips in the last episode of you're a bad bad man Jesse Custer well I mean yeah we it's another reference to we see the war that's happening within him Mm -hmm. Um, and we see that it existed before the current war that he's fighting with whatever is in him now, like physically, whatever that force was in the pilot, um, he's been struggling between these two worlds for a long time. And I think that's the thing that um, makes him capable of handling it and not exploding in um, in a cloud of blood like Tom Cruise. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Enough about Tom Cruise. Uh, Fiore and DeBlanc are at the church. Uh, they make some reference to first the vampire and then we get the preacher. And <laughs> immediately get run over by Cassidy. <laughs> so there's two. Okay, so did you notice when... Right after he pulls to a stop, he jumps out of the van mm-hmm. and he's smoking. Yes. There's two things that I think that could be. One is way more likely than the other, but the other is funny <laughs> to me. Okay. Um, the first I think is the obvious one is that he was driving in his car and it was still daylight out and he caught on fire. But yes. then by the time he got there was healed, but the van had already filled with smoke. Yes. That's how I saw that, yes. That's the obvious one. Sure. The other one that I think is hilarious is that when he hit them and then slammed on his brakes, the ashes of Ted Ryerson flew to the front of the truck and exploded throughout the van. Oh my. <laughs> That's what is God. Co- that is what is covering Cassidy's face throughout the next that two scenes. Actually would be <laughs> That would be amazing. Poor Ted Ryerson. That would be fucking hilarious. And, okay, going back to not being quite clear on the writing credits for this particular episode, that has Seth Rogen written (laughs) all over it. Does it not? That's amazing. Uh, So there's a a small part of me that hopes that's true <laughs> but uh we see it's jesse Barry ted prob- later yeah, on in the episode so it's probably so. more likely that it was just he was on fire during sunset mm-hmm. and he he 
healed by the time he got there. But yeah, I love that theory. <laughs> Poor Ted. Poor Ted Ryerson. Um, he uh, he tries to call them out as religious fanatics again, <laughs> and it has to stop halfway through. And he's like, "Wait a minute! I killed you guys! Like I killed both of you." How did you, he just goes, how did you do that? <laughs> like, how did y'all come back? Um, and then he gets upset that he has to clean their bodies up again, <laughs> uh, which is so funny. He just completely moves on to just like, oh, well, I guess I got to go do what I got to do. Uh, and we get the subtle flash of blue light, um, which I believe I read it as them coming back. Yeah. Same. Uh, you did the same. I did. Yes. Cool. Um, Cool. Who says cool in response to somebody else saying agreeing with something anymore? Um, <laughs> you do, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> cool, Josh. Uh, cool. So Cassidy is going into um, the closet. <laughs> he picks up a, like a small plastic trash bag and he's like, this will take forever. <laughs> and then uh, here's a door shut um, and picks up one of those little things that Snuffs out prayer candles, mm-hmm. uh, which was actually shown in a shot earlier in the episode when he first goes into the closet. Uh, they did a little pan across it and um, kind of set that up in a nice way. Um, but he picks that up and then calls Fiore and DeBlanc out. And tells him he has a weapon, which he doesn't really... <laughs> Uh, he finds poor Fiore, for some reason, cowered underneath one of the pews and starts hitting him before DeBlanc stops him and is just like, we're not here for you. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and they, uh, yeah, so they sit down to have a little chat. Um, but the show moves on. Je- we find Jesse and Tulip at a gas station. This is... One of the more interesting sequences of this episode. I do love that she remembered what kind of Fritos he likes, though. It's chili cheese. Chili cheese. Chili cheese Fritos. Yeah. They are quite good. They are quite good. Um, he's about to tell her about the voice mm-hmm. when he sees how she reacts to the driver that pulled up behind them. Tulip is not the person you want to ever fight. Like No. <laughs> You do not want to be stuck in traffic with Tulip. She <laughs> Do not cut her off in traffic. Do not cut her off in traffic. Do not look at her the wrong way. Do not even <coughs> breathe in her general direction because she will fuck you up. I love um, that about her. But I love that that moment that he has where he decides not to tell her about the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he knows... He knows her well enough to know that it would be really irresponsible in this moment. Right. And I think that's a very important thing as to how when Jesse and Tulip and Cassidy finally get together as their little trio of friends, um, that's an interesting dynamic that he would trust Cassidy with something that he would not trust Tulip with. Um, that is, yeah, yeah. And I, like, I don't, it, the tulip has changed so much on this show 
from the comics that I don't really know quite what they're getting at, but I think that's an interesting idea to kind of be on the lookout moving forward. Hmm. Um, but he doesn't necessarily trust her. Uh, and we, like I talked about earlier, when she pulls him over on the side of the road, he kind of has a moment where he's really excited to know something that she doesn't know, to know something about himself that she doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's still that relational a- dynamic between them that they can't quite get on the same page. Is it a... Do you feel that it's equal parts he doesn't trust her and he doesn't trust himself with her? Or do you just think he just doesn't trust her at all? Because the way I've been reading it, if I'm honest, I I agree with you. I don't think he trusts her. Yeah. I I don't think there's an internal struggle with him at all when it comes to her. I think he's very clear cut. Like we had something once, but that's over. You don't know me anymore because I've changed. And she likes to think that she knows him because she knows the old him. And she's trying to tempt him back to that direction. But I think that Jesse. Okay, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. I'd... I think if they're if they're moving in the direction of a love story, I think we're going to see it become a thing of they're going to have to relearn one another. They're going to have to get to know each other again, because right now I, I think it's fair for Jesse to say, you don't know me at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's fair. I, I think that it's a thing of I agree with you. I don't think he trusts her at all. Yeah, and there's also a you know some reference to Tulip's character in the way that we've seen her kind of be two faced is a wrong word because I don't think she's being like she's being two faced in a malicious way, but we've gotten quiet moments with Tulip in previous episodes where she's almost had really good, you know. Um, Normal thoughts. (laughs) I don't know how to quite phrase that where it's she's said things that you're just like, yes, you are a good person, but it's almost always to herself. The bravado that she puts on to everyone around her is this really crass, abrasive thing that she's even doing with Jesse now. Yeah. Well, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. And so the way that I'll phrase it is I don't think that he doesn't. He doesn't tr- he doesn't trust her but he also forgives her for being yeah. for being her. Sure. Um which I think is a is a very big thing. Like he's moved on mm-hmm. from that relationship. And I don't so I don't think it's necessarily that he doesn't trust her but he thinks she's a bad person. He just doesn't trust her because He's trying to do his thing, and they're just not really compatible anymore. That's a good way to phrase it. They have to relearn each other. Yeah. In in order for that relationship to come back. Is that how it is in the comics? Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so hard to talk. I can't I can't really talk about it much more than that. Mm-hmm. But and the the relational dynamic in the comics is it's so different. much different. It's different because she's but, different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Well, not not just that, but the situations that bring them back together. Okay. Um, not as a couple, but just even as two people that run into each other again. Okay. Uh, the situations surrounding that is, are so different that there's really none of this interaction happening. Okay. But they do relearn each other in a different way. 
Um, Fair enough. We don't. Yeah. We that's don't have that's to, yeah. yeah. Um, and really, there's if, even if I started touching on it at this point, like no one would have any idea what I was talking about because it's there's not there's a lot of references to the comic in this show, but not an abundance. And I, that's another thing I really enjoy about this is they just give little touchstones mm-hmm. of things, but they're not just like showering you with references to the comic book while still doing something different. They're building their own little world that exists around basically these concepts that the cons that the comic book put out 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I, I really like that. Uh, going back to this week sequence, uh, Jesse excuses himself from the conversation to say that he has to go take a leak, uh, which I love her reaction to that. Just like brilliant. Keep me updated. Um, and he goes into the bathroom and Donnie is there, uh, with a gun to his head. Um, give me your f- initial reaction to watching this scene. Um, my initial reaction to the scene was a, uh, wow, Donnie was following them, following them that whole time. That's impressive that they never noticed. I thought they were out of town at that point. I so did too. <laughs> I was really confused, like how Donnie found how the them. Fuck down. Yeah, I I thought the same because I I got the impression like. You're on this lonely stretch of highway. You're having this conversation. You're going to go get vengeance. You do a big dramatic spin out with your nice muscle car. I figured they'd been driving for hours and they were in another part of Texas altogether. And so to see Donnie in this gas station in the middle of nowhere, I was like, oh, Donnie followed them the whole time. Okay, A, why did they not notice? Because they're both obviously very perceptive people mm-hmm. and they're also very highly suspicious people um just judging by their past they probably are always looking over their shoulder they would notice if a car was following them b why the what the, what what is donnie doing did he just have that bad of a day where he had to have a yeah. essentially an abusive birds and the bees talk with his son and then his boss humiliates him he really resorted to that he really resorted to following the preacher to like I mean, he, shoot him. Did he have get, that bad of a day? He got made fun of by a host of school children on a school bus calling him the bunny the man. The bunny man. Make the noise. Make the noise. Yeah. He. Donnie had a pretty terrible day. He had a terrible but day. But does that justify following somebody like presumably out of town to threaten them in the bathroom? To the, I don't think he was going to kill him. I think he just wanted to scare him. He wanted no. He wanted him to make the noise. He yeah. wanted he wanted to make uh, Jesse feel small. It was it's a male bravado thing. He feels like that's why I said he he he's almost impotent in this episode. Mm-hmm. He feels like his manhood has been taken away, and he has to take it back. And what does he do but tries to threaten the worst <laughs> like, possible person he could threaten. He's like, I can't even abuse my wife in peace. Good <laughs> God. He's not abusing her. Last time. I can't even fake abuse my wife in peace. Grown-ups are complicated. <laughs> um, I did love this, though. Like, I love the, the way that Jesse responded to it because it was not the way that Jesse should have responded to it. Mm-hmm. Um, he used the voice for his own selfish purposes. And I, uh, I enjoyed watching it cause it was like, okay, yeah, you're going to put this guy in his place. Like sit down, Donnie, calm, just sit down. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I liked the moment when Jesse realized that it wasn't coming from a place of, oh, I'm just trying to protect myself and get the gun away from me. It was a, I'm trying to humiliate this person. Um, I liked the moment when Jesse realized it and backed off. But I did love that he had that nice little, that nice little bit where he was like, you know, there's no need for the town to know that I beat you like a bitch twice. I was like, oh, he done like, did it. That's a hell of a thing to <laughs> say to somebody with a gun to your head. Savage. Um, no, I really, I, there was a moment where I didn't know if they were actually going to do it. Uh, I really, I was like, I, it's one of those things I'm. Just what maybe I'm watching too much dark television. I don't know, but I was like, man, they are really about to do this. That's okay. We'll see how they what they do with Jesse after this. And then uh, he has that moment where he just stops and he says, "I get it," and he he walks away. And I think the thing that he gets in that moment is he's he is what's wrong. With the world. You know, in a way, he's almost got to forgive himself. Um, he's got to forgive his past. And I think that's, you know, it's really strong storytelling to have those two flashbacks early on in the episode. Because we see the moment that he killed somebody previously. He shot somebody in the head. And here he is about to make somebody shoot themselves in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, he's... That that's not just his past. He's re, he realizes that he in this moment is still the wrong thing. Um, he's still the wrong in the world, mm-hmm. unless his actions speak differently. Yeah. Um. And he walks out and tells Tulip, "No, like, nope, I've changed my mind. Can't do it. Yeah, I can't do it. We have I, to leave him to God." I love that moment he, where she he starts to say, he starts to say it and she yeah. says don't like don't, don't, say you, it. Say don't it. you say it don't you say it because she like, already we have, knows we have what to he's leave him to God yeah that's what I'm talking <laughs> about earlier with like the whole thing of like him restoring people's faith mm-hmm. and he himself having his faith restored in the slightest only I assume to have it ripped away from him later. That's so poetic to me. It was like him having that moment where he's like, we have to leave it to God. But God's not there. Well, I mean, <laughs> God's not there to leave it to. And I feel like as soon as Jesse realizes that, like all hell is going to break loose. Oh, uh, I think I mean, I feel like it's more of a he's t- he's talking the talk. Mm-hmm. He's using the words that he thinks that he should use. Hmm. Okay. You know, in the yeah. same way that he deals with um, face and the loaches, he's he's using the words that he thinks that he should use in a moment where he feels good. Um, and that's why he's trying to explain to Tulip why he is trying to do good. Hmm. You know, he, but he's using he's using what he thinks are the right words, but they're just not the words that someone outside of his congregation would accept as truth. Mm-hmm. Um, where again, we see this show tackling an idea of religion versus those outside of religion and how they interact with each other. Um, I think it's a fascinating thing to, to try to do through steep genre television or genre television 
television steeped in genre. God bless America. Um, I think it's it's a fascinating thing to do through that lens. Um, and he walks away, and I have no doubt that we will. She will be back next episode with some new plan to drag him back to his old ways. Oh, she's she's resourceful like that. She'll find something. Mm-hmm. Um. After that break, we catch up with Cassidy and Fiore and DeBlanc mm-hmm. uh, striking their deal. Um, is this the scene that Fiore has? Yes. Your favorite line in? Yes. Well, this is the scene. This is the scene that's that for me got me very excited. Um, throughout this episode, up until this moment, it, again for me, it was just a bunch of exposition. Um, this was the scene where everything started to click into place, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, so this is the ball game we're playing in." Got it, crystal clear. Um, and because this is the scene in which, um. Cassidy is basically demanding answers. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Why is it that I've, I've killed you once? I've tried to kill you a second time. You've come back. Like, who are you? What are you? What do you want? Um, because if you're not here for me and you're here for the preacher, what is it that the preacher has that you want? I love that he thinks it's a cloning thing. Right, right. And uh, if it's not that, then, okay, so the, then you're with the government. Which which branch of the government are you with? And, you know, he's listing off the FBI, the CIA, and finally, is it Fiore? Mm-hmm. Taller one. It's poor Fiore. He's finally just like, we're from heaven. He's it's so literally frustrated. just so frustrated. He's just like, we're from heaven. Uh, for me, that moment was a, oh my god. Okay, so this is the ball game we're playing moment because it was like finally we're getting some answers. We're getting a sense of the tone of the show. We're getting the sense of this world, truly, fully fleshed out. Um, yeah, so that made me really happy because I was like, oh my God, they're angels. They are angels. That's why they're kind of like bumbling idiots is because they literally are dealing in the world of mortals Mm -hmm. and classically mortals, mortals and angels, like angels sort of regard humans as just like, you know, these idiots that sort of run around and get themselves into trouble so I love that this show has actually taken it and reversed it in a, in a way where it's these two angels that are just like, they just want to get their job done and go home. They're tired of being on earth. They just want to go home. And that was the line reading that I picked up from Fiore saying, we're from heaven, was him just being like, I just want to fucking go home. Like, can we just get the voice, put it in this coffee can and just go home? Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciated that. But what I thought was so interesting was that they don't give a shit that he's a vampire. They don't care. In fact, it's almost as if they have never heard of vampires before. The way that they sort of regard him and handle him and interact with him. Um, well, I just yeah. so I thought that that little that little bit of kind of like the the mythology that the show is establishing mm-hmm. is that angels don't actually know about vampires because vampires are. Uh, essentially they are demonic creatures. Um, so there's this, well, they, very, do, there's they this... do make a reference to him earlier. Uh, like first we deal with the vampire, then we get the preacher. Yeah, But, but he's such a, he's such a afterthought to them. It's not a, mm-hmm. this demonic creature that we have to destroy. It's literally just like this little leech that we just have to flick off before we go do this thing. 
Like, I love that. That's well, kind it, of interesting to me. No, the really cool line in this scene about that, that ha- or that has to do with that, is that he uh, he's like, I thought you guys were like religious fanatic vampire hunters. And yeah. the other one just goes, we don't even know what that means. Right. Which I love. I love that. I love that this show is establishing its own mythology in terms of how these supernatural elements interact with one another. Mm-hmm. Um being a Buffy fan, being a True Blood fan, like it's interesting to me to see that there is a new sort of uh, culture arising that has a very different idea of how these two entities interact with each other. So I especially love the the Cassidy and Blanc and Fiore. I love how they all interact with each other. I think it's really funny. Yeah, it, that this was a great scene that I I did not expect to happen. Um, yeah, for yeah. them to, to try to get on the same page. Uh, my reaction to the end of this scene when Cassidy says like, you know, I'll explain it to Jesse and, you know, we'll get, we'll get whatever is in him back. Uh, my first thought was, Oh no. Yeah. Me too. Oh no. Me too. This is not going to go well. This is not going to go well. Yeah. It's really not going to go well. I did really love that. Uh, Cassidy was like, if you think I'm really tough. Like, He's a one-man wrecking crew. Yeah, Jesse Custer is a semi-truck that you're going to run headlong into. Uh, I loved that moment. Um, so, yeah, Cassidy has, I don't want to say he's struck a deal with the devil, but he's struck a deal with the two characters that have been the bad guy for the first three episodes. But we finally saw that they're just idiots. They're just angels. They just want to go home. Mm-hmm. They're just not interested in anything else that's going on. They just want to get whatever is in Preacher out of him. Um, this next scene, I'm not totally sure was supposed to originally go in this episode. <laughs> it seems so out of place to me. But um, the only connective tissue is really how it relates to the scene that comes after this. Uh, but Arsface and his dad are sitting at the kitchen table talking. This is also the scene where we see Sheriff's Root, uh, Sheriff Root's, um, pretty much comatose wife. She's catatonic. Catatonic. That's the word I was looking for. Catatonic wife in the next room watching a a classic horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, they're sitting at the kitchen table and... Poor Eugene uh, wants to go say hello to the loaches. You have an interesting theory about why Sheriff Root reacts so strongly to this. So, ex- so I, explain your theory. Yeah, so I, I, and we talked about this a little bit last night. I, so I, I, again, knowing nothing about the comics, knowing nothing about Eugene's backstory and why he looks the way he looks. Um, and I believe we touched on it last week in the episode. Um, I had the theory that there was some sort of tragic accident that maybe happened, um, that Eugene was responsible for, um, either because he was under the influence or whatever. And then, you know, wrought with guilt, he tried to shoot himself and that's why he looks the way, that's why he looks the way he looks. So, uh, this episode, when he mentions to his dad, did you hear about Tracy? She's opened her eyes. Um, I thought it might be good if she had some visitors and root is immediately like you stay away from them. You do not go over there. 
do you want to get murdered was kind of like a light bulb moment for me because I immediately thought, oh, my God, Eugene is the reason why Tracy was in the coma. So it'd be really sad. I don't know what happened there because you and I, I think maybe we did on the episode last week, but we theorized like maybe she got kicked in the head by a horse because she loved horses. Yeah, her mom talked about like she'll never ride a horse again. Right. And but I don't think it was the wound on her head looks vaguely hoof. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. So I I just assumed it was just this very tragic accident where she just got kicked in the face by a horse. But after this exchange with with Eugene and his dad, I was like, okay, something is not adding up. I feel like these two events are connected. And Eugene is somehow responsible for her being in a coma. And then, you know, because of guilt, he shot himself in the face. Yeah. So that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. Until they prove me wrong, I'm going to say Eugene knows what happened. And that's why his dad was like, you by under no circumstances, do you go talk to that family? That's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, We shall have to see. Because you don't know, do you? Uh. I know our space's backstory, yeah. Okay. Um, but as it relates to the loaches who are I not know, in the comics. Yeah, the loaches are not in the comics. Okay. They've, okay. Um, they've changed. Uh, I know. I know for a fact. Like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg have, and Sam Catlin have talked about how they changed our space's backstory because it's not uh, timing wise, culturally wise, it's not topical. Um, okay. Interesting. Wow. I want to know more about that. uh, It has to do with a... Has to do with a certain famous person committing suicide. But there's a lot that builds up to that. Okay. And that's where I could see them working in some of that... Something else that's culturally relevant something else Uh, not necessarily making it culturally relevant but taking the other aspects of that story and amplifying them in a way that would justify somebody trying to take their own life interesting um oh my god i'm gonna have to avoid wikipedia so bad tonight because i really want to know i mean i could just tell you now because it's not they've already said they're not gonna this is not the reason why he does it on the show okay go kurt cobain Okay, so so he in he's Kurt a huge Cobain, fan of Kurt he's Cobain. A huge Nirvana fan. Okay, Kurt, he finds out Kurt Cobain kills himself, and this is in issue one. This is not a huge spoiler. Okay, uh, somebody tells somebody else the story of our space before you actually even see our space. Um, yeah, so he find, he finds out that Kurt Cobain uh, killed himself with a shotgun. He tries to do the same thing. He messes it up, and that's why he has the face that he has. Okay. Um, wow. Eventually yeah, so that, in the okay. comics, okay. you get like a it's like a f- three or four issue run that gives you his entire backstory. Okay. Um, and in the comics, when you first meet him, his mom is not around. Eventually you find out that she left. But before she left, she's similar to the way she is on the show. Which I already feel like I'm saying too much. But um There are aspects of his story that you find out, his backstory, that I think would work well in this show to justify his taking his own life outside of 
being a huge fan of Nirvana. Are we looking at heavy drug use, alcoholism? I'm not going to say much more. Okay, because right now I'm just going to I'm going to go ahead and put it out. I'm going to go ahead and say it. My theory yeah. is that he was a just a douchey high school kid bored. He was probably doing a lot of drugs and he was probably drinking a lot and there was some sort of accident that involved Tracy that he was responsible for. And that's why Tracy is in the coma. We'll see. And because he was so wrought with guilt, he tried to kill himself and it failed. And that's why he feels like God isn't listening anymore because God hasn't forgiven him. We'll see. I'm just... I can't tell. I'm not going to tell you if any of those aspects are right or wrong. I'm not asking you to. I'm basically just telling you, like, that's my theory. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We'll we'll see. Uh, We'll see what what old Eugene Arsface's story really is at some point. Um. This the one of the big reasons I don't think that this scene was supposed to be in this episode uh, is that he ends it with actually the title of next episode, which he calls the world a giant monster swamp, um, which is the title of next week's episode on Preacher. Uh, and we immediately cut to Jesse giving the funeral for Ted Ryerson, which I think disproves my ashes in the passenger seat theory. But... Um, he's reading from first Corinthians 1551, which is supposed to be, uh, a hopeful passage. Um, classically in the Christian tradition, that was something being written, uh, to give hope to the downtrodden. Uh, and here it's used very much in a way that is ominous. Uh, there's one key phrase in this passage and there's the final shot of this episode book ended with like I said the the one of the shots at the very beginning with the pipe coming up out of the ground uh, that I think uh, I think I know what they're referencing and I it makes me very excited it, should I say Go for it. I think they're referencing the Saint of Killers. Okay, so why is he underground? That I'm going to leave for you to discover. Okay. I can't... I, I mean, I honestly cannot... I can't give... I can't tell you any more about that because it's just going to give away his backstory, which I'm assuming we're going to see at some point on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and pr- since we got part of it last week I'm just, that's what I'm basing that on is it we referenced it last week then we get a couple references to that um, this week in the pipe you know something coming up out of the ground there's danger something is coming from the ground that mm-hmm. is going to wreak havoc on this small town right we get that you know it's there's the shot and then we have the conversation with Fiore DeBlanc and Root about how something bad is coming um, and then there's Jesse reading this ominous Bible passage, and then we get the shot, and we see the thing actually open up and kind of boil over. Right. Um, I 
think the Saint of Killers is coming, and I think he's coming before too long. Um, which really makes me happy. <laughs> I love that character. Absolutely love that character. Anyway, that's that's my theory about what those those specific shots could mean. Um, All right, then. Another thing we get in this scene, just to kind of a little Easter egg to close us out, is uh, we see his dad's grave. We do, yeah. Um, he's returning to the same church, the same very cemetery that his dad was buried in. Yeah. Um, Can I talk about something like really quickly, just mm-hmm. not relating to this show at all, but something that I noticed uh, in another uh, another TV show that's on right now. Um, uh, and there's this sort of uh, theme that's very similar that's happening. Um, okay. I don't know if any of you are Penny Dreadful fans, but there was a there was a nice little Easter egg on the most recent episode of Penny Dreadful where there was a gravestone of a child that one of the main characters lost. Um, I thought that was interesting because I, I, I literally watched, I watched this episode of preacher and then I watched this episode of Penny dreadful. Uh, and it was the final shot of the episode were two characters in both cases, in both cases, in both cases, um, two very separate and very different shows. Um, Tonally and I mean in every sense of the word, these these episodes are very these shows are very different. But these episodes that far off. Um these shows are very like the the storylines that are happening are very similar right now, but like with the last shot of Preacher being Jesse's dad's uh Take it easy uh, on the mic stand. Sorry. Uh it's uh, Jesse's dad's um like grave marker. Uh, the the last scene of this most recent Penny Dreadful episode is a it's a callback to um, Lily Frankenstein, who used to be Brona Croft. Her daughter, Sarah, is buried in the same cemetery where she's standing. And so they're almost identically shot for shot the same. It's kind of weird. Hmm. So I was I was looking at these two episodes today because I went and did a I, I did a third rewatch of Preacher and I did my first watch of Penny Dreadful and I watched these two final scenes of the episodes together and it's almost shot for shot and kind of storyline for storyline very much the same uh, so I thought that was interesting because it was this nice little this nice little divide between these very different shows that are on different networks even but. Hmm. It's like kind of the ghosts that haunt us. It's you the know? rule of twos. Yeah, well, it's a ghost that haunt us, and it's this, this, it's the idea of uh, trying to live up to a legacy of sorts. Um, I thought that was interesting, though. Yeah, it's just something I noticed. It's not important. Hmm. Well, yeah, we will. Anyway. Um, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> I, I have not watched right. much of Penny Dreadful at oh, all, yeah. so yeah. I can't really speak um, to what that show is doing. Cool. Well, yeah. But that brings us to an end of episode three of Preacher. Yay. Uh, titled The Possibilities. Uh, we will be back next week with another recap for, uh, like I said, Monster Swamp, which who knows what that could be. Um, because there's a couple shots in the next time on that are, that look like they're shot in a swamp. Um, so we shall see what the, what exactly the monster swamp is. Um, but until then, uh, Britt, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Britt L. Bird. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Josh B. Carter. Um, as always, you can email us. Uh, I'm sure at some point in this episode we said something wrong. And um, I'm sure I've missed several references from the comic book. It's been a while since I've read them. Um, but if you would like, you can email us at holysmokespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Britt, what's our Twitter? Uh, it's Holy Smokes Pod. It is. We cut, yeah. off, we cut off the cast. Yeah, so give us a tweet, give if us an email. If only Dominic could cut off the cast. Holler at us. Oh, he just breezed right over my joke. <laughs> Fine, it wasn't that good anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. So yeah, reach out to us there. Uh, hit us up. We promise to respond. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Until next week. Peace be with you. <laughs> Why peace be with you? It's a priest reference. Oh, dear God. It's a preacher reference. Mm-hmm.